Hello, and welcome to another episode of Natural Bliss Podcast. I am your host, Joyce Wheeler. And for all your electromagnetic protection, you're going to want to go to heavenlybodieswellness.com and go ahead and check out the various shungite products we have. We have also the three types, the regular shungite, the Petrovsky, and the noble or leaders, it's also known. And if you've been struggling with weight, having a hard time taking it off or keeping it off, or if you just want to live a healthier lifestyle, I am doing a course called Ditch to Diet, Change Your Lifestyle. It's an eight-week course. It starts on June 8th, and it is a beta. So you want to get it, if you're going to want to go ahead and do this, you're going to want to get it now because the price will go up. I am going to be doing it each season, and each season will have something different in it. So go ahead to MajesticTerra.com and take a look at that. So today I have with me Swanette, and she is an engineer who turned into a business consultant and then left her career to become a success mindset coach and spiritual mentor. Her passion is to guide gifted and mission-driven business leaders to overcome their upper limit problems and create a life beyond brilliance. Swanette's own life journey started with a near-death experience at the age of eight and let her experiences several moments feeling like Phoenix out of the ashes. And at the same time, she got curious about life in different aspects, exploring science and spirituality to end up finding her own essence, gifts, mission, and embrace the abundance of life. She now helps people to kick the invisible glass ceiling that is holding them back from achieving their true potential. She inspires people to explore their best self, their essence, and their vision of life. She does this by helping people to overcome their emotional blockages, traumas that leave them stuck and unfulfilled, and that hold them back from becoming generous and unstoppable for ultimate success. She empowers people so that they too can live a life beyond brilliance. Swanette, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being here. You are located where? I'm uh, in Madeira Island, um, a tiny island that belongs to Portugal and it is a subtropical island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It sounds wonderful. Definitely it is. <laughs> nice. Nice. So eight years old, you had a near-death experience. Can you share with our audience what happened? Yeah, so um, it happened when I was only eight years old that I fell in coma and the doctor didn't know what, what happened with me, what was the reason, because, yeah, they thought it could be something like a meningitis or, um, yeah, perhaps only low blood pressure, but they didn't know. So I was in the hospital and um, because of that, um, the doctors um, tried to figure out the reason of my fainting away. And I was lying there and I could see myself in the bed and the doctor stick in a long needle into my spinal cord to take out some liquor. And I, I could see you know, there was my body here was, was me, I like my soul. And I could see also my parents were outside. They were not in the same room with me. And I was kind of pulled into the light and it was so peaceful and calm that I really had the feeling I have to go there. 
And the next moment I was pushed back into my body and I woke up from my own screaming because of the pain of the needle in my spinal cord. Right. And the next moment I was in coma again. And so this situation that I fainted away only sometimes for minutes, but sometimes for a day happened again and again. So it was like something I had experienced all my childhood. Like I felt like I had no control about what is happening with me, no control about, yeah, about my life. And um, yeah, this was a, a very uh, yeah, impressive experience for me being a child. So how long were you in a coma? Two days. Two days? Yeah, at that time, and, two days. And after, did they ever figure out what was wrong? Not at that time. It uh, took me uh, about yeah, 20 years. Only when I studied um, chemistry by myself, I understood that at that time I was toxified by pesticides. Uh-uh. Uh, so um, it was kind of common in, in Germany where I come from at that time that people uh, painted uh, the wooden ceiling inside of houses or wood inside of houses to protect it from insects. And um, these were pesticides uh, that were used and uh, the paint uh, was not declared to be being toxic. So um, in my child's room, this uh, wooden ceiling was painted with this kind of paint. And um, I inhaled these pesticides um, for hours and hours while I was sleeping there and they accumulated in my body and these were neurotoxins. And of course, what was insects will also kind of kill little children. And so only then I understood, okay, so this was what happened to me being a child. But at that time, the doctors couldn't figure out what it was and they didn't have any idea about that at all. Right. So do, do you know of other children that this also happened to when you were growing up? Um, I know about other children, of course, that had severe effects uh, on, on toxic substances in houses. And, um, but for me, it was not that I had at that time any clue what was going on. So I only right. felt like I, I was different and that uh, from that time on, um, I had special gifts that were not common to other children. So I was always like the kind of a little bit weird one because I could see beyond. And so I understood, even though perhaps this happened to other children, um, they, they didn't show up with the same symptoms. Gotcha. Well, you know, I mean, we're all weird in our own way. And being weird is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make a T-shirt that says weird is my normal. (laughs) So you were having like the near-death experiences even after you came out of the coma. Did I understand that right? So it was one near-death experience because of this situation. And after that, I was in in coma again and again or just fainted away for, for a minute like really I was uh, out there playing and the next moment uh, I was yeah kind of uh, on the ground and I couldn't remember what happened the next minutes and um, so this near-death experience was only once but it was really that I already at that time felt like there is something more than the normal life like there is me being the spirit that there are higher realms and 
that we are made of more elements than only having this bio body. So what kind of experiences were you having? What kind of gift did you land up with after this? I've heard of it happening to other people where they have a near-death experience and then they come back and they, they're, they're given a gift. So what gift did you receive? So for me, it was uh, that I became clairvoyant and precognitive. Um, and as a child, I didn't understand what it is that I could see other things than other children could see, or that I got instant uh, wisdom of something. Like, I didn't learn that, I knew it. And for, for many years, it was like, okay, this is happening with me. And um, yeah, I, I don't know how to handle that. And uh, when I was about uh, 18 years old, uh, I went uh, into drugs for some time and with that shut it down. Mm -hmm. So gift was shut down for many years and it only came up uh, some years uh, ago again uh, with the death of my, uh, my dog. And until since then I have this gift again or these both gifts like being precognitive uh, and clairvoyant. And I now can use it because I understand more what it is all about. So I used the time when it came back uh, to learn more about uh, um, using these gifts, like um, learning to read the Akashic records, for example. I participated in uh, remote viewing studies and, and to really understand, okay, is it something that I make up or is it something that I really can use? And uh, so um, being in this remote viewing studies now, I, I would uh, call myself like certified woo-woo because it was very, <laughs> it was very clear I that- I love that, certified woo-woo. <laughs> because it, it was very clear that uh, these were, were studies um, where, I, where I couldn't uh, just make it up. And um, if you're interested, I can share a little bit more about that, um, how this works, for example, being a, a participant in, in such a study. Please do, feel free yeah. to share. Yeah, so uh, one thing is um, remote viewing is uh, a method or a tool that was used uh, by the CIA in former times during the uh, Cold War to um, get information about uh, uh, the Russian army and where they had um, whatever uh, weapons and this kind of thing. So this is kind of a um, method. People are kind of gifted, but you also can learn. And uh, to understand um, more about uh, people who are now have this kind of gifts, um, there's a possibility with the Stanford University to participate in this kind of studies. And one was, for example, that I got a code with numbers and, and uh, yeah, different signs. And this code was uh, connected to a person that was sitting somewhere. Um, and I had to describe what I could see, like where this person was sitting, what was the environment. And um, I had 20 minutes to um, yeah, kind of lock myself into uh, this code and, and uh, into this person. And um, then I had to write it down what I could see and send it to the study team. The next moment I got four different videos 
um, and I had to bring them in order to see, okay, this was the place I have seen and this is not the place. So it is chance 25% that it is correct. And I sent back one what, where I thought this one could be the place and it, this was right. And then they um, read uh, the description I gave about the environment and uh, what I got back was that I could even see more than that was connected to this kind of code. And for me, it is like uh, kind of flying a drone. Like I could go there and zoom into this place and turn around and go a little bit more up. And for me, I could also see like things that were, for example, behind this person, like there was a ruin with an old uh, rusty fence and uh, he was sitting on a bench uh, on a hill. So I could see all the environment around this person. And so for me, it is like really, yeah, if, if you would take a drone and fly to this place, this is what I do just mentally. And so this is how this happens. And if people are interested, uh, I'm sure there are more studies coming up. If people want to participate, um, I can forward the information about that. Oh, that would be great. This, but, you know, from what I'm hearing you say, I mean, a lot of psychics do the same thing. So how is it? The only difference I could see is that they're giving you a code. Yes, I, I think psychics can see this as well, um, but for having um, like a kind of a proof uh, what is connected to the study design, I think therefore they use this kind of code. Okay, so, so are people they- get are... Different, People get different codes. So everybody gets a different code to, to tune in uh, to different places. So I think because of the study design, this is necessary. So they're staging it. They're setting these people in these particular places and developing a code. Okay, that's one difference between remote viewing and a psychic, because psych, with psychics, they have no, nobody say that there's been a, a crime and the investigators want a psychic to come in and help. Well, they have no idea where this crime took place. Let's say a child was lost. They have no idea where this lost child is. So they bring the psychic in and the psychic tells them whatever they're seeing. But with the remote viewing, it's actually set up. So how did that work in Russia then? Because they couldn't stage it. There was a code still used when they were doing remote viewing in Russia? No. Um, these people were psychics, just as you described it. Like they had no idea where the target is or what they are looking for. So they bring only they bring in the information, uh, like uh, downloading it or however they get the information. But for participating in a study, they need to have a special study design that you can focus on. Uh, one point to describe what you can see. So the study design needs this yeah, as, as a target. So are they doing this research because they want to find out who has the ability to actually be able to do remote viewing? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is one question. Also like 
um, getting more clarity, uh, how we can access this kind of information. Like um, now people have different uh, abilities. So some uh, like I'm, I'm clairvoyant, I can see it. And I get instant knowledge. So I, I, I know that the place is whatever in England, for example. But other people perhaps get more um, uh, feelings or they, they get uh, sounds or whatever. So they have or they, they channel it. I don't know. People have different gifts and they right. wanted to find out how we can access this information. So did they, in, in the study, do they include participants with different gifts, like the gifts you were just talking about? Or are they looking specifically for clairvoyant or psychic people? No, they, no, they targeted different people with having uh, people that describe themselves having gifts and also people that describe themselves having no gifts because they wanted to understand if everybody can do that or if it is something you, you can train or if it is something you need a special gift for. What do you think? Um, I think everybody has these kind of gifts more or less uh, inside themselves, but most of the people um, are not aware of that or um, they shut them down because, yeah, for example, of toxic substances um, that block their uh, pineal gland so that their third eye is not open, they can't download information. Um, also, I think people sometimes have this, or I have a, a feeling in my stomach that something is happening or these deja vu uh, experiences. So these are kind of, information they get from um, yeah, other senses than the, the normal uh, five, six senses, uh, or seven, five senses are the normal ones. Yeah, so um, I, I think everybody has kind of a, a base ability to, to do these kind of things. And then of course it is opening up these kind of other senses and training them as well. Yeah, it's um, like everything. No? If you uh, want to become a good painter, you have you know, perhaps a special gift already, but becoming really good, you have to train that. And uh, it's the same with using this kind of gifts. So even good mediums are not born like they're that special at the beginning. They use it and use it. And no, the often they use it, the better they become. I agree with you. I, I think all humans have some kind of gift like this. We, we have these abilities, but I, I think they become stifled. I, I've talked, I've had many guests on who have gifts. And one of the things that I come across is that as a child, their parents are basically telling them, no, you can't talk like this. You can't do that. And therefore stifling it. And I don't think it's just the parents. I also think it's our society, you know, our society. If you're in a church, their church will tell you that it's evil, that no, you, you, you can't know that. Only, only God knows that. So I think our society has various ways for stifling our gifts. You know, I, I, I had a one woman on 
her mom was a, a white witch. And so from very early on, she was exposed to another type of life and spirituality. So that, of course, enabled her to be open to her own gifts. I had talked to somebody else whose sister had a gift, but because there was nobody there to guide her with it, she didn't know what to do with it. She landed up homeless on the street and a drug addict because she didn't know what to do. You know, and then you have other countries, <clears throat> cultures, where when they realize a child has a gift, the elders will come in and they'll help them to develop that gift and to work with that gift. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And it's like, why can't it be like that all over? You know, why do they have to deem something that's so natural as being something that's so bad? Did you share what, what you're going through with your parents? And if so, how did they react? No. I, I never spoke uh, with anybody about this being a child. I only started speaking about that uh, when I was uh, grown up and uh, had an idea what is going on. For me as a child, I was not even, uh, it was not clear what, what I could do or what I could see. It, it was like kind of normal, but different to other, other children. So no, I never spoke about that with anybody. Never. Wow. Is there a reason? Did you feel like if you shared this with people that they would think differently of you or that your parents might, you know, be like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Don't talk about that. Do you think that's how they might have reacted to what you were capable of doing? Um, my parents were kind of open-minded people. So I think uh, especially my mother would have understood uh, that there is something special and um, I had a good relationship with my parents. So I think this was not the case that I could not open up to my parents. It, I think it was more that I didn't have a clue what, what it was and not the feeling to speak about that. Like why, why would you speak about something that is kind of normal to you? So... <laughs> right and not only that but then as as a child you probably didn't have the words maybe to say this is what I'm going through this is what's happening I don't know what it is but this is what I'm experiencing do you think that was part of the reason you never talked about it too at that point in time so I think we were so kind of concentrated uh, during my whole childhood about uh, me being sick and uh, like uh, having uh, this, this situation that I always fainted away and going to the doctors and there there was yeah kind of no situation like getting clarity about what was really going on because even the doctors didn't understand what was going on. Right. So how long did, were, did you go through life that you were just fainting? Uh, between eight and 20, I would say. Wow. So uh, what would it be like? Like you said, you were outside playing. Did, did this ever happen at school? Yeah, it, it was really from one second to another that 
uh, I felt like um, the the blood is going out of my body or down into to the feet or something like that. And then I had, I don't know, one or two seconds and then I fell down. It's... Did you, only, hurt your, did you ever hurt yourself when you fell down? Like hit your head real hard or? Yeah, I had some injuries, but as I, I could feel it really like now it's coming and then it it meant like lying down or finding the next chair and um, sometimes it also started that I only could see black and white so I knew that now in the next moments I have to find a safe place and uh, then it happened and yeah so when you were in school did you have friends yeah I, I had friends of course and um I, I tried to to suppress uh, this kind of gift. So I tried to be normal and and play with the other children. And but I was also bullied a lot. So I had a lot of experiences where, uh, for example, children um, would hold my arms, and one uh, child would paint something on uh, on my face or situations like that. So. Geez, that's just not being bullied. I mean, being bullied to me, it's always, it's more verbal, but that's, they're entering your personal space. I mean, that's attacking your person. Wow. Yeah, but okay, perhaps there's another word for, um, I only know the, the English word uh, that is bullying. And um, for me, it was like uh, a kind of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, being outside of a group, people uh, or the children laughing at me or like this kind of situation or uh, children hitting me. So when I was uh, about, um, let me think, 10 years old, I started uh, to um, get training with my father to, to fight, for example, so that I can defend myself. Right. Yeah. Did these incidents happen while you're at school? I don't understand the question. Why I was, what? Did these, when this happened, were you at school? It, I was at school or uh, I was out um, with uh, children playing in nature or, or somewhere. So, um, even sometimes when I was older, this happens when I was uh, at a party or somewhere it's on the street, walking from A to B. <laughs> Children are actually very cruel, but at the same time, I very much so believe that children are taught to be bullies and taught, but I also believe that they can have issues of themselves. I had read a book when I was younger and they called them emotional leeches to where I'm having issues that I don't know how to deal with. And I'm looking at you and you seem to be pretty happy. I mean, you have these fainting spells, but overall you're happy. So I, I don't want you to be happy because I'm not happy. So I'm gonna find ways to make you miserable as called an emotional leech. So I think, you know, the bullying, I think, is kind of learned from parents, but also 
kids reacting to what they've had done to them. Then the school didn't do anything about this? No, even though like the situation, I was new in this class where this happened with a painting in my face. Um, there was no reaction from the school and I, I didn't went to uh, to anybody with that like I tried to to fix it I went home and told my mother I don't want to go back to the school and uh, yeah that's horrible I'm sorry that that happened to you that's just terrible I mean I went through bullying too when I was younger I think a lot of us have experienced bullies at some point in time in our life but I've never had them get physical like that you know, it was just always very, very verbal. So, although they, they would like, are you familiar with teeping, like take, take toilet paper? And they used to teepee our house during Halloween. They would throw eggs at our house. Hmm. Yeah, they would, they would do stuff like that. But it was never physical, thankfully. Hmm. But that's just, that, that's, that's horrible. So did they, did they do this because you were fainting, because you were new at school? Why do you think that they treated you like that? Have you any idea? Not really. I, I can only guess that no, I, I always felt like I don't belong. I don't belong here to this planet. I don't belong right. to humanity. And um, this was always a feeling also, I, I, I don't belong really to these, these children. They are my peers, okay, I, I, I try to connect with them, I try to have friends, but it was always like, somehow I don't belong here. And perhaps this was what I was sending out and they're getting. And then of course, knowing things or seeing things, I couldn't know uh, sometimes, um, yeah, I don't know what, what it really was. I have no clue, no. No, and some of the times we don't, you know, the people I was bullied by, I have no idea. I have no idea why they were bullying me. All I was doing was walking home from school. That's all. And these, and I didn't even know them. They went to a different school. And they just started saying stuff to me. Like for, for no reason at all just because of the way that I was dressed was mainly what they were talking about, how I was dressed. You know, back then, I mean, it was the seventies. It was all the short skirts and the, uh, what the platform shoes. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, but because they went to a Catholic school, they weren't allowed to dress like this where I went to public school. So I could basically wear what I wanted. I didn't have a nun checking to make sure that my skirt skirt was down to my knees. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, sometimes we know why and sometimes we don't know why, you know, but it, either way, it's a sad thing. So have you turned your gifts into a business? Yes, and um... I, I worked as a coach and consultant for many years, but at that time, uh, my gifts uh, were shut down, so I didn't have them. 
And um, only um, when my dog died, um, there was this moment that, um, yeah, she sent me pictures that she is now uh, leaving me. And um, it was really like, okay, I'm getting this inside that she will die soon. And so I was outside uh, with my brother doing some gardening and she sent me this picture. I will, I have to leave you now. And I said, okay, I have to go inside. Something is wrong with Tyler. So the name of my dog. And I went in and again, I got this picture. I have to leave you now. And 15 minutes later, she died in my arms. And Aww. it was that really from this moment on, like no, it was, everything was opening again. And um, I thought, at that moment, either I go crazy, like no, call these guys with the tight white jackets, or I have to understand <laughs> what is going on. And so I decided I, I can remember somehow from my childhood that there was something that was similar to that. So no, I really went into learning about uh, the, the morphogenetic field. I was learning about reading the Akashic records and the remote viewing and all this kind of stuff about mediumship and quantum physics and everything that helped me to, yeah, on the one hand, understand what is going on, but also to control these kind of gifts. Because you now when it started, it was I was sitting with someone and I got pictures of this person from a past life, for example. And I don't want to happen that when I'm just outside uh, having a drink with a friend. Yeah, so that's, I, intrus that's intrusive. <laughs> <laughs> so I really wanted to, to have control about what is going on. And of course, now, um, as I can really look beyond, I can look into past lives and understand what are connections from there to the present time. I use this in my business, uh, being a, a mindset coach. And no, normally I go, uh, I start from the present time, understanding what are, what is the mindset of uh, this person is uh, having, what are blocking beliefs, what are traumas in this present time. I've gone through all of that, so I know what, what it is and um, uh, releasing everything that is holding them back in this, in this lifetime. Then I look into the um, ancestral line, understanding what is happening in, in the family line, so to say. And uh, also understanding this from my own experience, like my grandmother has been in two world wars. My father has been in one world war and um, pattern from there are giving over to me. And for example, like um, my grandmother um, had her house full of food when she died. There was really like, uh, she had a, a freezer where you could put in uh, a pig or a cow, really a huge one filled with, with uh, meat and uh, a lot of storage in the cellar with self-made uh, um, pickles and uh, cooked beans or whatever it was. So she had storage for, I don't know, 20 years. Really, really all the house was full of food because she experienced having nothing to eat. Right. Yeah, I've heard about people like when we had the uh, Great Depression here, 
back, back in, I believe it was in the 20s, people who had li lived through that did the same thing. Yeah. Throughout their life, they would just hoard the food. Yeah. Same with my father. So also he always had the fridge full and also like a tendency to overeat, to overfeed our cats. And like there was always this pattern of food is essential. Of course it is. Yeah. Right. If you have been in a situation where you had nothing to eat, of course. But for me, I've, I've never been in a situation uh, like this in my lifetime. But you will always find my fridge as well full because there, this kind of pattern is, okay, better have something to eat uh, at, at, uh, in the house and not, uh, not that it is uh, getting empty. But I'm aware of that. So I, every time I go shopping, I'm aware that, okay, how much do I really need? Have my list, okay, it needs to come back into the fridge or in, into the storage but not like hoarding it. What happened with my father and, and, and grandmother. So, and you will see a lot of people have pattern in their life. When they look into the ancestral line, they can see where, from where it was give, given over and again given over. Like um, money mindset is something. If people always lost, um, what they had, uh, for example, during a war, they lost uh, their their homes. They lost uh, all their values. Like they couldn't, they could only take a few things with them. So of course, from there, having these experiences, also okay, money is essential. We must hold the money. Yeah, it can disappear the next moment. Yeah, how to save our values? This is also coming from this line. Yeah, and it's it's something how much our ancestors can actually affect our lives, and even past lives can have an effect on what what we're doing right now. That kind of ticks me off. It's kind of like, no, you're you're not you're not here. I am here. Why do I have to carry your garbage with me? You know, that's that's not fair. Yeah, but one thing is first become aware of that. Is there something that you can see that is a family pattern? And then, of course, understanding how to handle that, how to clear that, right. change your change your beliefs, um, change your behavior with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, if clients want to work with you, how do they connect with you? Yeah, so there are uh, different ways, of course. Uh, they can find me uh, on my website, uh, which is uh, spiritual-changemaker.com and uh, also on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram and uh, yeah, LinkedIn, wherever. So it's easy to find me there um, with my name, Svanette Kunze. And um, I would also like uh, to offer um, a free giveaway um, for your clients who are interested to understand a little bit more about themselves, uh, which would be uh, uh, coaching with me, uh, having half an hour uh, understanding more about their own patterns, about their own beliefs and um, yeah, what is holding them back to have a fulfilled life. So how did they get that? Is there a, a code 
that they yeah. would have to use? Yeah, I can send you a link. Uh, perhaps you want to sh put this in the show notes. Yes. And people who uh, listen to this podcast uh, until the end, they will figure out that there is this free gift and they can just click on that and uh, book themselves into my schedule. Nice. And to learn how to spell Swinette's name, of course, that too will be in the description. Um, usually I don't put the last name, but in this case, I will go ahead and I would do that for anybody who wants to follow her on social media or, you know, find where she is. And of course, the website's always, always there too. So we have that. Are there any last thoughts that you would like to leave the listening audience with? Yeah, I think it is important to become aware of what are beliefs about yourself. Is there anything that is holding you back from really living an abundant and fulfilled life? And if you figure out, yes, you think about yourself, something that is limiting, um, then work on that, change that because you deserve to have a fantastic life. Yes, we all do, don't we? All right, Swinette, it was really great having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And of course, uh, we had to work around the, the time zones for this one. So I appreciate you doing that very much. Thank you for being here. And we will talk to you soon. And for our listening audience, remember to keep on shining. Till next time. <laughs>